make noise, 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 make noise. There we are. Batman, what's going on? How are you? Hello there. How are you? Well, I don't know. How do you think I am? Just a minute. I'll try to get you a little higher. Thank you very much. I don't. I'm higher. I'm going to get me higher. All right. Okay. Very much. Now, now, people, today I'm going to be on my best behavior because you know me. I can can go up the handle, but not today. I'm going to have as much sense as I can possibly have today because we're talking about something very very important. Uh, Mrs. Jane Elliott is here. Um, again, I will tell you uh, where you know her from. Of course, she's an activist, but I. But during this pandemic and during the George Floyd situation, one of her old speeches came up and she said something that hit me in my soul. And when I saw that video, I had to find her. And we'll get into that later, but To make a long story short, she said, how many people here would like to be treated like African-Americans are treated in this country? Stand up. Nobody stood up. She said, no, 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 go ahead, stand up. And then she said, that means that you know it's wrong, you don't want it for you, but you stand by and let it happen. And that resonated so much with me and my soul, I had to find her. So with that being said, Thank you for coming and joining me today. I know that you don't re- you're not really on Instagram like that. So I thank you for coming. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I think this is this is a very interesting opportunity for me and for your listeners. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So you've been an activist over 50 years and and I, the first thing I was going to ask you was would you would you call yourself an activist or your or a sympathizer for the cause? Which one would you Neither one. Neither one. I'm an educator. And the word educator comes from the root duck deuce, which means lead, the prefix e, which means out, the suffix ate, which means the act of, and the suffix or, which means one who does. I'm an educator who is attempting to lead people out of the ignorance of racism. Has nothing to do with being an activist. I am an I am an active human being, and as long as I'm a human being, I have the responsibility, I have the right to expect other people to respect my rights, but I have the responsibility for respecting the rights of others and for seeing to it that the people around me do the same thing. I refuse to tolerate any more of this nonsense about black and white people. You need to understand that the terms black and white are polar opposites. White is white is the word for purity and goodness. Black is the word for evil. It was that in the during the during the Spanish Inquisition, and it is that today. And that's when the words white and black came up for races. There's only one race on the face of the earth. We've got to get rid of those two words because as long as we are calling one group pure and good and the other group savage and and ugly. We will have racism in this country. We have got to get rid of, number one, we have to get rid of those words. And some people are going to say, I like my, I like my color. Well, your color is not your race. Your color is your color group. And there are no white people on the face of the earth. Because every one of us, every human being walking the face of the earth today is a descendant of those first modern human beings who evolved in sub-Saharan Africa between 300,000 500,000 years ago. You and I, because we are both descendants, of those first modern human beings are 30th to 50th cousins. Now, you may not want me for your cousin, but you're stuck with me because we are members of the same race. 
There's only one race, and it's the human races. We are both homo sapiens. We will never get over this until we start educating people instead of indoctrinating them. Well, now, would you, you like know, to say something? Uh, uh, listen, uh, listen, you, 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 you just, first of all, you came in here and you slapped me all up and down Instagram Boulevard. Then you decided, then you said, then you schooled me after you slapped me up. And, and, and what you said is so powerful and so real. We, and, and, and listen, I'll take you for a cousin any day. Let, let's start here. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You have, any, you, you have any men cousins my age? I'm tired of being alone. Go on, go on. There you go. Uh, can you give us an idea of how your childhood and your upbringing was to, to, to get you to this point? What was, what was it like growing up? Well, I learned about discrimination growing up because I had a Catholic mother, a casual Catholic mother, and a believing Baptist father. And their both parents wanted to disown the both of them because the Baptist group because my father married a Catholic and the Catholic group because my mother married a Baptist. And so I learned about I learned about discrimination and judging people on the basis of things over which they they had control but they decided to stay as they were. They both stopped going to church and started raising children. And they raised they gave my mother gave birth to seven children, raised six. And I remember when my three year old sister died, broke my father's heart. But I also remember my father saying, don't bring any pickaninnies into this house as grandchildren. And then I showed him the first film that was made of my third graders going through the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise. And after it was over, this 59-year-old farmer in his blue bib overalls and his rolled-up chambray shirt took his, black, his red handkerchief out of the back pocket of his blue bib overalls, blew his nose, wiped his eyes and said, I wish somebody had taught me that when I was nine years old. I wish somebody had taught him that when he was nine years old. He watched, he learned from watching that film what he couldn't have learned any other way. We couldn't have taught him that. I couldn't have said to him, Dad, give it up. I lived in Waterloo, Iowa for eight years, which was called Little Chicago because of the large number of black people there. I could never have, I had, could never have convinced him that he was wrong about people of color if he hadn't watched that film, and then when my daughter married a Saudi Arabian, we took that beautiful little child of theirs and put, him, put her in his arms, and he looked up and he said, that's the most beautiful child I've ever seen. And then he looked at that Saudi Arabian male and my daughter standing there, and he said, that's a good cross. Now, my father was a farmer, and he knew what was a good cross, and he looked at that and said, that's a good cross. And I think it was at that moment that he realized that those two people were members of the same race. They're the same species, and that's a good cross. 100%. It, you know, for people that don't know what the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise is, can you explain it to them? Because some people might not. I, I was born the same year that Hitler came to power. And so I watched what he did from, the, from 1933 until 1945, and I heard my father responding to that. And what he did, one of the things he did, was take people judging on the color of their eyes, judging by the color of their eyes. If you had a good German name, but you had brown eyes, they thought you might be a Jewish person who was trying to pass, so they threw them into the gas chamber, or if they were little children, threw them up in the air and used them for target practice. That's what they did about eye color in those days. I remembered, I remembered, you know, and in 1968, when Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, I knew I, we were going to learn the Sioux Indian prayer that says, Oh, great spirit, keep me from ever judging a man until I've walked a mile in his moccasins. I decided that not only would I treat, teach those students that prayer, I would arrange to have it answered for them. I decided I was going to do what Hitler did. I was going to separate my group on the basis of the color of their eyes. 
mistreat the ones who had the wrong color eyes, make heroes out of the ones who had the right color eyes, and let them find out all these little white children in Riceville, Iowa, all white, all Christian Riceville, Iowa, how it felt to be something other than white in the United States of America. I thought they were going to learn a great deal. I learned more than they did because I had more to learn. I was older than they were. I had had more years to be reinforced in the myth of the rightness of whiteness. And when those kids got done with that, they that changed them for the rest of their lives. They are different from their peers to this day, and they say they are different. They say that's the thing they remember most about school and the thing they learned the most by doing. Mm, wow. So, so now you've done all of this and you're a little older. At what point do you start to become an educator, like you said, where you're going and spreading this information to people and, 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 and changing their perspectives? I, I did this with third graders for a number of years, and then I went up to junior high, did it with junior high people, and got the same kind of the same kind of response and the same kind of results with junior high people. And then in 1985, uh, PBS sent a film crew to my room to film a reunion of those first kids who had gone, the third kids who went through the Blue Eye Brown Eyed Exercise, the kids that are in the film The Eye of the Storm. And they filmed that, and they, they put that on television, and the minute that hit television, corporations started to call me and ask me if I would come and work with their people, and that's what I did. Then from 1985 on, I've been working with so-called adults, and I have done that with literally thousands of people, so-called adults in many countries and in this country over and over and over. And I get the same results with adults that I get with children because in every person, you have three ego states, child, parent, and adult. And when I'm doing that exercise, I'm in my parent ego state and that forces them into their child ego state and they act exactly the way my third graders do every time I do it. It is absolutely astounding and frightening and irritating and it, it makes me really angry with what we've got going today because we have a, man, a, a boy grown tall in the president's residence who has never gotten into an adult ego state. He's a case of retarded, not retarded, not retarded. He, has, he just he's a, arrested development. He has never developed an adult ego state. Even when he's reading the things off the teleprompter, he'll stop every once in a while and get right back into that child ego state and say, it'll be great. It's going to be great. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, he can't hold it. Well, he can only hold it long enough to read something that someone else has written. That's what is frightening me right now, and it should frighten everyone else. Because the first year, the first three years, I, all this time I've been thinking, this feels like Hitlerian. This is Hitlerian. What he's doing is Hitlerian. This feels like I remember us talking during the Hitler years, what's going on here? And then I say to myself, that's your imagination, you're overreacting, that isn't really happening. And then I read the book by Bert Newborn, the title of which is, When at Times the Mob is Swayed. You have to read hold that on, book because in that- People pay yeah. attention, people pay attention. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask her to repeat the name of the book because we all need to, we all need to research, we all need to understand and we can get a, a, a better understanding. Yeah, What's the name of the book again? When at times the mob is swayed. Just a minute now. Here it is. When at times the mob is swayed. And if you don't want to read the whole thing, you don't have to read the whole thing to get the message because it says, it shouldn't come as no surprise that Trump is so adept at exploiting fear and inventing scapegoats. 
He studied at the feet of the master. We know from Ivana Trump's now sealed testimony at Trump's first divorce trial, backed up by her lawyer, Michael Kennedy, and from the president himself, that for years, a younger Donald Trump slept with a book of Adolf Hitler's collected political speeches published in 1941 as My New Order in a locked cabinet at his bedside. That is where he learned the techniques he is using to govern this country, and people need to realize that. Now, they won't realize it because they aren't my age. But if you're my age, and there are lots of people out there my age, whom he is allowing to die with COVID-19, because there are too many of us, and we're collecting too much Social Security, and costing the government too much money. He doesn't care about that. But if younger people read that book, they'll realize what's being done to them, and they'll put a stop to it. They will vote no for everything he says from now on, including... November 3rd. We are just this close to losing our democracy because of this fool. And this man is a fool. Make no doubt about it. This man is a fool. I was going to ask you later on in the, in the interview, and I'll go to that. If, if Trump wins, what will the next 100 days be like? And if Biden wins, what will the next 100 days be like? So let's start with but, uh, uh, Joe Biden. If Joe Biden actually is able to pull out a win, what will the what will the next hundred days be like after November? It it won't be much different after November third, but after January twenty second, you will see people marching in the streets in joy because they will realize that they've gotten that knee off their neck. That man's knee is on the neck of this company, of this country. You need to realize that. The life is being squeezed out of this country by his refusal to work on things like stopping some of the pollution to our environment, the kinds of things that he is doing. He has, he has wrecked the economy. He says he hasn't, he hasn't wrecked it for wealthy people. But remember, before he was elected, he promised. He said to them, you will be the richest you have ever been if you elect me. And they did. If you haven't read Robert Reich's book, The System, the System by Robert Reich. If you haven't read it, get it and read it. It is absolutely a description of what's going on right now, and you all have to realize it. If you don't know anything about the business roundtable, you need to learn about it because those are the boys that are telling Donald Trump what to do next because they have become billionaires, have become trillionaires under him, and trillionaires are going to become better if we don't do something about this. What, what, Our unemployment is horrendous. Our, it's just... It is absolutely insane what is happening in this country right now. Okay, if now, now, if he does, and, and then I'll ask you, then I'll, because it seems like we're going to have a book club after this is over, because I'm listening to both of the names of the book, I'm going to write it down. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader, so I read before I watch the television. Um, what, but, so you, you believe that everything will kind of change back to normal. Do you think that we will have people act, quote unquote, presidential again? Do you think that um, people will tolerate people that lie or whatever the case may be? Do you think it'll, it'll, it'll go back to the way it used to be or will it always be this way where politicians are not judged by what they do? If you do something, so what? If, you know, back in the days, if, you know, people got thrown out of office for one little thing. Look what Nixon got thrown out of office for. You know, will it be like that or will, will, will it be, the bar will be just that low from now no, I think once we get this thing, once we get a different person 
in the president's residence, you're going to see people following a better standard than they are now. You're going to see that 30% that were angry because there was a black man living in the White House. You're going to see that 30% go undercover again, just as they did during Obama's administration. They went undercover and stayed there until, until it was time to get him out, and then they voted in this fool, because this fool appeals to their lesser nature. You make no mistake about that. He talks of, he's a racist, he's a sexist, he's an ageist, He's a homophobic. He's an ethnocentrist. He's all those things. And so he appeals to all those qualities in other people. And there are lots of them. A third of the population, a third of the voting population, obviously, is of that bent. We, what you have to remember, and what a whole lot of white people don't remember, if they ever heard it, within, within 30 years, within 30 years, the demographics of this country say that white people, so-called white people who don't exist, will be in a numerical minority in the United States of America. Now, that's the reason this fool got elected is because people, white people, are scared. They are scared to death that people of color are going to want to get even with them. In fact, I gave a speech at the uh, University of Houston a year ago, and I said what the demographics are. And there was a white woman down in the bottom, in the, in the, about the third row back, and she was about 45 years old. And she raised her hand. She said, if those people, and I knew who she was talking about, if those people get power, aren't they going to want to get even with us? I said, that's your major, major fear, isn't it? That if people of color get power, they're going to want to treat us the way we have treated them. Yes, she said, that's my fear. I said, well, let's see if that's right. 1,500 people in this auditorium, half of them black. I said, well, every person in this room who considers himself or herself a member of the black so-called race and who wants to get even with all white folks, please stand. Three young black males stood. The rest of them all turned and looked at him like, what is your problem, fool? I said, there, you see, they don't want to get even with all of us. Now, do you feel better about that? And she said, well, yes, I think I do. I said, see, they don't want to get even with all of us, but let's be honest about this. Well, every black person in this room who wants to get even with one or two white people, please stand. Those kids, every one of them jumped up laughing and cheering and high-fiving one another and just tickled to death. I said, now, you see, they don't want to get even with all of us. But every one of them wants to get in with one or two of us. So in the future, you know what that means? She said, no. I said, let me tell you. What that means is if you behave properly in the present, you won't be one of the one or two they want to get even with. Can you understand that? And she said, yes. I said, does that make sense to you? And she said, I think so. And I said to the, the black members of the crowd, does that make sense to you folks? And they all cheered and high five one another again. I don't think black people, brown people, whatever we call those who are other than pale faces, want to get even with all white folks. I, I think they want to get even with some of the ones who have mistreated them or who are running their mouths in undesirable and racist ways. And why wouldn't they want to get even? See, if you expect, if you expect people of color not to want to get even with us, you are saying to people of color whom we have accused of being less than we are, we are accusing them of being less than at the same time that we're expecting them to behave in a moral manner, which we can't seem to achieve. You are you are smacking me all up and down Instagram Boulevard. But, 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 but forget, <laughs> because because I'm, I'm sitting here, my head is my head is turning. My my head is turning. I have so many questions. To put it that way for people, and I'm a guy who's on stage for a living, but to put it that succinctly and just to, to say it in that succinct and clear of a fashion blows my mind. And the bottom line is, I personally don't want to get even with anybody. I just want respect. 
You know, like I don't want to. I don't want to get even with anybody. I just want respect. But you see, but you see, we could get that. We could get that if in the schools, instead of teaching the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic, and only one of those words begins with R, which is reading, writing begins with W, and arithmetic begins with A, so teachers ought to stop talking about teaching the three R's. But instead of teaching the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic, we'd better start teaching the three R's of rights, respect, and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And we had better take the word race out of our vocabulary. That is a word that was used in the 15th and 16th century. Those of you who are going to continue to think that you're a member of a different race, and you aren't, we're all members of the same one, but those of you who are going to decide that you're going to keep your racial, your racial description, then need to go back and dress the way they did in the 15th and 16th century, travel the way they did in the 15th and 16th century, and communicate in the way they did in the 15th and 16th century. And I'm going to watch the horizon for smoke signals from now on until people make up their damn minds to get over this. This is a crock of crap. No matter how you put it, it is absolutely untrue. It is a lie. There's a book out there, and everybody should read it. It's called The Myth of Race by Robert Wald Sussman. The Myth of Race by Robert Wald Sussman is an absolutely wonderful book. It's particularly educational for those of us who think there are three or four different races. You need to read the book, and then you'll find out that we've been lied to. You see, a myth is a story we make up to explain something in nature that we don't understand. The Greeks had a myth that said the sun is a golden chariot that goes across the sky in the morning and carries us God across the sky. We found out that was a lie, and so they did. They did they after several thousand years. Now, a lie, on the other hand, is something that we make up to justify ugly behaviors that we've been exhibiting. And that's what the idea of race is. It's an ugly behavior that we have been exhibiting, and we call it a myth so that we won't have to tell it like it is. If, Donald, if the man who wrote the book, The Myth of Race, had called it The Lie of Race, he couldn't have gotten it published. He knew what he had to do, so he called it The Myth of Race. So now people are reading it, and then they get into it, and they realize that what he's saying is, we're a bunch of damn liars. We are lying about race. And when you put black against white, you are putting evil against goodness because of the words. Mm -hmm. Words are the most powerful weapon devised by humankind. We had better be careful how we use them. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Uh, two things. Uh, two things. Number one, uh, God, Jai, make sure you're writing down all these books so we can add them to the books list. Number two is there is nobody that I know that's going to ride around in a wagon uh, or give up their smartphone for a smoke signal. So that is definitely out of the uh, Speaking of Trump, you've said so many things and you and you had so many, you know, you've had, you put your opinion out there so much. Has anybody from that camp ever come, come at you or any remarks or, you know, anybody said anything to you? Because you go hard. <laughs> Band. 50 years ago, 52 years ago, David Horowitz, who now has written a book that talks, and I haven't read it and I don't know the name of it for sure, but it talks about how the media is going to get Donald Trump and he's going to win anyway. 52 years ago, that fool wrote an editorial about Jane Elliott, who's doing this horrible thing to these little third graders in all white, all Christian Riceville, Iowa. And I look at that and I think, you silly fool. 
here you are, 52 years later, you're still telling them, you're still lying, you're still getting attention by lying, you're still making money by lying, and I'm telling the truth, and I'm not making much money at all, and I haven't gone any anywhere, I'm only 17 miles from where I was born, but I think the message of one race is going to outdo him. I think if we're going to find out that people are going to realize eventually that if you stop regarding yourself as opposite races and realize that every one of us is a shade of brown, and you can find that out if you don't believe that, then you get the National Geographic magazine for April of 2018. And look at these pictures. These are pictures of different people of different colors in the United States of America. And underneath one, each one of them, there's the word Pantone and then a number, because these are colors on the number on the Pantone, the Pantone color line. Everybody should find out what their color is. Go up to, go, put a bunch of these up on the wall, put your hand up on it until you find your color on this thing, and then go to the thesaurus and find synonyms for brown, because we are all shades of brown. Find a synonym for brown that matches your color. And when you have to fill in a, a, an application or some form where it says race, you put human. And if they change it to color, you put whatever your color is on the, on that, on, in, in the thesaurus. Two black women called me last week and I said, and they said, when we fill in a form where it says color, we put, one said, I put mocha. The other one said, I put chocolate. I said, that's absolutely fantastic because there, there is nothing ugly about mocha. There's nothing ugly about chocolate. It isn't the opposite of white. Where it says where it says race on mine when I have to fill one in, and where it says where it says race I put human, and where it says sex I put yeah no. in capital letters. <laughs> I want to. So I, 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 really, to I, I, want, I want to go, go on, go on, people. You know, at this moment, I would go for my juice, but I'm not doing it today. I'm not doing it today. <laughs> I would go for because I have something as juice that I drink, but I'm not going to do that. I actually am going to now put down, when it comes to color, I'm going I'm to put down human, and when it comes to color, I'm going to put paper bag, because that's me. Now, now... No, no, you, no, 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 you aren't paper bag. No, you aren't paper bag. You are not paper, paper bag. bag. No, that is not yeah. most paper bags today. You, you need to find... You know, Get your hand out. Get your you hand out of the That's right. Listen to me. Yeah, <laughs> listen. The reason you don't put down paper bag, because that was one of the ways they yep. decided whether you were going to be allowed into the club. What? You had to take the paper bag test. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Yes, it was. So that's the reason you do not reinforce that idea by using the word paper bag. That was a way that was used to decide who got who got in and who couldn't get in. You didn't know and, that? And didn't you know that? No! I'm walking around here seeing a paper bag. I am getting smacked yeah, up and down see, Instagram. That's the, point, but, that's the point. What, what, but what you just said is right. That's the point. It is shit. That's all it is. You have to know that. What you, are be, what you have been led to believe is an absolute pile of crap. Mm -hmm. And we've got to get rid of it. We've got to stop it now. If you haven't read the book, Ellis Coase's book, The Rage of a Privileged Class. Have you I read this? Have you read The Rage of a Privileged Class? I haven't like read that. You're giving me... I I've got four books I have to read. That's the problem. That's the problem. You, this is not hard to read. If you don't want to read the whole thing, just read chapter three, which says the dozen demons, 12 demons that black males have to live with on a daily basis. Number one, inability to fit in. Because you don't act white enough, so you can't be right enough. 
Exclusion from the club. You're never going to be one of ours because you aren't one of ours. Low expectations. Teachers expect little black boys to fail because they are convinced that they're going to fail. And so they lower their expectations for them and the kids know it. Shattered hopes. Parents send their kids to school hoping they're going to make, make it and make somebody of themselves. And instead, the teachers ex have the lower expectations. And many of those kids, especially if they're black and they're male, drop out of the sixth grade level or age 16 because they don't have to put up with that crap anymore. And they know it's crap. Faint praise. You talk real good for a black man. Have you heard that before? Yeah, I've heard years, years ago. Not anymore, but I've heard that before. I've, I've, I've heard, I've heard, oh, yeah. I've heard you talk. You talk white. And I'm like, yo, you know what? Yeah, you talk when white. I, when I want to talk, my talk uh, yeah, see, coping fatigue. Uh, my heroes are black women because they cope with this crap all day, every day. They put their kids out in the street in the morning to go to school in good shape and take them home all bruised and battered at night and have to put them back together and convince them that they're all right because of what's happened to them in the school. Pigeonholing, identity troubles, and the worst one, the worst one as far as I'm concerned is mendacity. You have to lie in order to get over and I know black males who say to me, I don't dare tell the truth because I'm a black man. And I know, as well as you do, that if I had been a black woman and had done that blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise with my all-white children in that all-white community full of Christian people, I would either have lost my job, I'd have lost my job, and I might have lost my You would have, listen, if you get your job, man, you would have lost your life. You, you, now, 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 right. now, those 12 demons that you said, for me, my mother was an educator as well. She was a principal, and you know, I, look, I was reading at three years old. I was reading the New York Times at three. She had, I never felt some of those, like the need to fit in. I, I never felt that need to fit in. I always felt like I walk in my own truth and do my own thing. Um, succeeding, I was always taught, told by my mother, you can do this, you can do this. There's nothing you can't do. So when I, when I was going to do certain things, even if it seemed like it was impossible, I didn't think that way because I was told you can do this. When I had no damn reason, I had no business doing what I needed to do. I mean, I had no business doing those things, but I did them because I didn't know any better. What I do agree with you with is that a lot of us are victim to that. So you are 100% right about that. You're 100% right about that. And again, you're just schooling me up and down and I'm just listening. Being that you're dropping all of this information, have you ever got death threats and from who? Because you're talking stuff that people just need to hear and, 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 and people don't want people to hear. So how do people react to you when you say all of this kind of stuff? I've had death threats. They, three black, three carloads of black people had to take me, me out of Uniontown, Pennsylvania several years ago because I had done the blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise in a very, very informal way with the teachers, 400 teachers. And they called the superintendent in the, af in the afternoon and said, if you don't go get that bitch out of town, we're going to shoot her. So these young black people got me out of town, and I didn't know why we were leaving. And I asked finally when we got to the Pennsylvania Turnpike, I asked the woman who was driving the car why we were leaving. What's going on here? We were supposed to be in Harrisburg the next morning, not that night. And she said, we had to get you out of town. And then she told me why we were leaving. And then we went on to Harrisburg, and the next morning I worked in Harrisburg, and then she went back to her office. She was, part, she was head of the Human Rights Division, I think, for Pennsylvania. She went back to her office, 
And I got up and opened my <laughs> motel door the next morning, and here I was in this two-story motel and all these windows and doors around it, and I thought behind that one of those windows could be the person who was sent here to shoot me. And I backed up, and I can remember it as well as if it had happened yesterday. Now you've got a choice to make. You can stand here and be paralyzed with fear and never do this work again, or you can walk down there and take a chance on having your kids and your husband lose something very dear to them. What are you going to do? So I took, my, I took my luggage cart handle in my hand. I put my purse over my shoulder. I stiffened my shoulders because I thought maybe, I guess I thought if my muscles were stiff enough, the bullets would bounce off. And I walked quickly. I didn't run. I walked quickly to the desk to check out. I think well, you don't run because you're scared. You're scared because you run. The minute you run, then the adrenaline starts to pump, and then you are in a mess. So I walked quickly to the desk, got to the desk, and I thought, well, you damn dummy, look what you did. You just allowed them to scare you nearly to death. I will never be scared again. And I've been hit by a white male during this exercise. I've had a knife pulled on me during this exercise. I have been called every name you could possibly think of. And I have been under, people have been there around me when I work in corporations. They have security people there because the threats are, are there. Because people hate people who, with little, melanin, melanin challenged people have a hard time with what I say, because if I'm right, they're wrong. If I'm right, they aren't white. You can see the color of my shirt, it's white. My skin isn't white, and my hair is, but my skin isn't. So let's give up the idea of white and black. There, there's no such thing, there are no white people. There are some uh, people who are albinos in Tanzania. Google Tanzania and look and see what happens to albinos in Tanzania, but even they aren't completely white. There are no white people on the face of the earth unless you're sick. I'm not sick, but I'm sick and tired of this okay. nonsense, I, I, and I want it. You know something? I'll tell you like this, and, I, and I'm going to say this, and you're probably going to look at me like I have 38 heads. But for you to be completely fearless like that is amazing. There are at least uh, uh, 10 drug dealers within the state of New York that would want you on their team with that kind of fearlessness, because for you to, for you to walk like that, for you to be accosted by people. And and you're no big person that, you know, people are, are going to be afraid of, you, you know? For you to do that to me is absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, you're going in the hospital. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live in fear. You can hate me if you want to. You, you can say all the things that, that Max Rafferty, who was a, a superintendent, state superintendent of schools in California in 1968, and he wrote that... Uh, he could see me leading the little children into the gas chamber because I did that exercise. But when my father saw that film, he said, I wish I, somebody had taught me that when I was nine years old. The kids who have gone through that exercise and the adults who have gone through that exercise, for the vast majority of them are saying, it changed the way I see myself. It changed the way I see my world. It changed the way I see the difference between truth and lies. And the idea of three or four different races is a lie. It is a total lie and has to be challenged. And we have to, you have to read the book when at, you have to read the book Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization. If you haven't read Anthony Browder's book Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization, you've got to get it and read it because you don't realize that 4,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, black people in Egypt, and Egypt is a country in Africa, it is not in the Middle East. It's a country in Africa. They were doing cataract surgery with metal instruments 4,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Do you realize 
that those first modern human beings left the area of the equator and moved from there to populate every landmass on the face of the earth. And they were black, we, what we call black. They weren't black. They were very dark brown because they had been exposed to a lot of sunlight and their bodies produced a lot of mm -hmm. melanin. They populated every landmass on the face of the earth. And if you don't believe that, you look at this map in the National Geographic magazine for April of 2018. Now look at this. Look at that map. See, this is where we started. This is where human beings started, right here. And those dark-skinned people managed to move across the earth and populate every landmass on the face of the earth. In the, in the DNA of every human being living on the face of the earth, if they trace their DNA back far enough, they will find DNA from a country in Africa. That is a fact because we are all homo sapiens. That's it. There is no longer any... You can't argue with me about that because it's a fact and you can't change the fact. I've never had anybody come with this many receipts uh, to, to an argument, but that's neither here nor there. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever met any white supremacists and flipped them? Yeah, I flip white supremacists every time I do the exercise. Mm -hmm. And they will say after it's over, I've been wrong. Mm -hmm. And I say, hell yes, you've been wrong. I'm not going to behave this anymore. I should think you wouldn't join the human race pool because if you think, and somebody will say to me, well, you see, I'm biracial. I say, really? Which of your parents came from outer space? Well, neither one of them. Then you aren't biracial, fool. Well, but I, my mother's black and my father's white, but that doesn't mean they're biracial. They're members of the same race. You may have come from a bicolored family, but you didn't come from a biracial one. Oh, I didn't. Or the woman who stood up in a university in Texas not not Houston University, and said, I just looked for the person's heart. I said, Madam, if you can see my heart from where you're sitting, you need to go down to the local hospital, volunteer to be their x-ray machine. You can save them a whole bunch of money. And when some fool woman says to me, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. I say, I knew that before you said it. Because if you weren't colorblind, you wouldn't wear that shirt with those pants. Then they say, you don't understand. I say, I understand perfectly. You're trying to tell me that you don't see color because you can't relate to people who are of a different skin color. You're lying to me. You do see color and you want to pretend it isn't there. Don't ever say that to anyone and let me find out that you said it again. And it's time for us to get rid of this. It's time for go to, go, go to my no, website no, no, and download the printed learning materials. Go on. Mrs. Elliott. Exactly what you said just now regarding people saying they're colorblind sounds like the same thing that people say when they say all lives matter. Ugh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me tell you how to solve that. People who are arguing about that don't understand white people. When white people hear Black Lives Matter, they hear only Black Lives Matter. Because only white loves, lives have mattered in the past. Mm -hmm. We aren't white. We ought to give that up. We could, we could de-weaponize that by putting a comma after it and the word too. Black lives matter too. That includes, that makes it include everyone. But you see, you don't understand white people. You think they're smarter than they are. They aren't smarter than you think they are. They are dumber than you realize. And the reason they are dumber is because they have been accused and have have been happy to think they were smarter all these years. They aren't smarter. They don't even know what color they are. They think they're white. They actually believe that they're white. Even though, and if I were teaching kindergarten this year, which I'm not, I would have the kids take out their Crayola crayon box, take out the white color, and put it against your, the back of your hand. 
And will every child who's back with the back of your hand, if your matches, if you're the back of your the skin on the back of your hand matches that color, raise your hand. Not one kid would raise his hand. And if you did it at that second, third, fourth, or sixth grade level, you'd get the same reaction because there are no white people in this country. We are we white people are so dumb because we aren't and we aren't stupid. You can't fix stupid. We are dumb. We are uneducated. We have been we have been indoctrinated with the myth of the rightness of whiteness. And it is a lie. It is a total lie. We need to get over okay. it. Okay. So how, so how, as, because you're an educator, how can educators and teachers, matter of fact, what can our teachers and educators do to change the curriculum in our schools? And do you think that that will ever be changed? Oh, yeah. Within 30 years. Within 30 years. We will have people teaching and we'll have people who are the administrators who are other than tall white males. And they are going to be saying, we're going to teach these kids the truth and we're going to start this year. Now it would be more sensible if we would start this year, 2021, if we would start this year teaching kids the truth, that we are all members of the same race, that we are all shades of brown. And if I were teaching at whatever level I would be teaching at this year, I would have every one of those kids identify the shade, the brown shade of their color, and I would have them call themselves that color instead of white or black. This white and black business has been a lie from the beginning. You can't teach that one group is one color is perfect and the other color is savage and expect them to come together in the middle. You can't do it. You have set yourself up to fail. Torquemada started this with the Spanish Inquisition. Before the Spanish Inquisition, people were just people of different colors, different nationalities, different, different not different races, different cultures, different genders, different sexual orientations, and the differences were an ugly thing. But then the Spanish Inquisition, they were killing people because they weren't Catholic. They found out they'd killed a bunch of Christians, so they said, we've got to find another way to decide to identify those that we're allowed to kill, and they set upon skin color. That was in the late 1400s. Now think about that. This foolishness has only been around since the late 1400s. It's time to get over it. And teachers, every teacher has the right in her classroom to say, we are not going to call people white and black in this classroom. I'm give, going to give each of you a skin color because each of you has a different shade of brown and you are going to be allowed to call yourselves that color in this room and you're not going to call yourselves white and you're not going to call yourselves black because there is no such thing. Now the black students are gonna get upset and but the black mothers are gonna say, well, by God, it's about time. <laughs> the black teenagers are gonna be upset. The millennials are going to be upset because they, are, they like that business being black and white. Well, they are neither one. And it is a mark, it is a proof of our ignorance that we keep on using those two terms. We'd better start, stop using other terms. I use the term melanemic for those who don't have enough melanin in their skin, because if you have, don't have enough iron in your blood, you're anemic. So if you don't have enough melanin in your skin, you must be melanemic. And I use the term melanaceous for those who have lots of melanin in their skin. There's nothing insulting or rude or defamatory about either one of those words. They are a description of the amount of melanin in your skin. Neither is positive nor negative. It's time to get over it. And, and, give me my mask. I wear a mask. Somebody sent me this mask, which I think is absolutely perfect. I think everybody should have one of these. See what it says? Get over it. Get, get over it. Get over get, it. Get over, get, over, get over this nonsense. So why do you think the millennials, why do you think millennials want to deal with the black and white? I, I, I would think that 
millennials would absolutely not want to have have tags on because they're like the most the because most advanced it, right now. Because it has been a source of pride for white people and a source of the ability to put up with the nonsense for black kids. I can take whatever you hand out. They know that and they try and they try. But what about the kids that can't take it? What about the kids that turn to, to lots of different kinds of ways to avoid reality? If we were, could get rid of white and black and just talk about brown, and we're all members of the same family, the Bible talks about the family of man. It doesn't talk about the races mm -hmm. of the world. It talks about the family of man. And the word races is not in the Bible. Now, by the gods of war and the God that we worship, we had better change our behaviors, and we better change it now. And if you think we aren't going to, if you think we don't need to, you need to remember that our present boy grown tall in the president's residence is building a wall on the southern border of the United States, as he has said, to keep those brown-skinned people out because brown-skinned people reproduce too rapidly. And he is closing down all the, all the uh, family planning clinics because he knows that in 1980, 1987, 60% of the fetuses that were aborted were white. And Ben Wattenberg, who has died since when I didn't cry, wrote a book called The Birth Dearth. If you can get a copy of the 1987 edition of The Birth Dearth, and you can find one, send it to me, and I don't care how much it costs you, I'll buy it from me, because I want that book. I don't want his later edition, because in that first paragraph of that book, Ben Wattenberg was an advisor to presidents of the United States, and he was a member of the American Enterprise Institute, which is an ultra-conservative, ultra-right think, think, think tank. And in the first paragraph of that book, he says, the major, the major problem confronting the United States today is there aren't enough white babies being born in this country today. He says, if we don't do something about it and do it quickly, then people, uh, white people will become a numerical minority and this will no longer be a white man's land. He says, there are three things we can do to fix this. Number one, we could pay women to have babies as they have been doing in Western European nations for years. Then he says, and these are his words, not mine, Unfortunately, we would have to pay women of all colors to have babies, so we don't want to do that. He says the second thing we could do is in increase the number of legal immigrants allowed in this country. Then once again, he says, unfortunately, the vast majority of those wanting to come to this country today are people of color, so we don't want to do that. He says the third thing we could do is remember that 60% of the fetuses that are aborted every year are white. If we could keep that 60% alive, that would solve our birth dearth. Now, this fool who calls himself the president now is building a border along the sun or wall along the southern border of the United States to keep those brown people out, and he is closing Planned Parenthood clinics. You need to realize that in 1987, 60% of the pieces were white. In, in 2018, only 39% of the aborted fetuses were white. So you see, he's getting it done. He's getting done what he's choosing to do, which is increase the number of white fetuses and decrease the number of black fetuses. And then when you hear what you heard on new the news yesterday and day before yesterday about black women who had to go through hysterectomies without knowing that it was going to happen and not realizing until it was after it had happened what had happened to them, you need to realize that the women who called me from Los Angeles, registered nurses, and said, will you come and speak to us? We work in, we are registered nurses who work in delivery rooms. I said, why would you call me? I was delivered of four children in five years, but I know nothing about medicine. I must not have known much about sex. But she said, that's not what we talk, want to talk about. She said, what we want you to talk about is racism. I said, why? She said, because we work in delivery rooms. 
And we know that black and brown women don't get the same treatment in delivery rooms that white women do. We want to see to it, as midwives, that all women of all colors get the same treatment in delivery rooms. Did you know that? Uh, look at my face. Look, look, look at my face. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I knew I had black friends, black women friends, who said I was afraid to go to the hospital because I was afraid my child wouldn't come out alive. I was afraid to go to the delivery room because I wasn't sure that my child was going to come out alive. I know that that was one of the fears they expressed, and I thought they were, I thought they were hysterical like I thought I was hysterical when I thought this, act, this felt like Hitler. But they weren't, and I wasn't. You know, all right. Because there's so much going on. No, 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 now, now. Because let me just ask you this. Because we, we, we're, we're touching all kinds of places. Do you, do you believe that America has received more of an education concerning black history than ever before this year? Hell no, we haven't. No, you didn't know that black people were doing cataract surgery with metal instruments 4,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. If we were telling as much black history as there is, we couldn't do it in 20 days of the, of the year. And that's only half an hour anyway, 20 days for half an hour a day for 20 days of the school year. No, we haven't been telling enough black history. And the black history that we have been telling is about those perfect black people who acted white and who made, made contributions that made white folks feel good. You need to know about all the rest of those black people. You need to realize, number one, that they weren't black. It ought to be called, it ought to be called human history. It ought to be called brown mm -hmm. human history because that's what, that's what you are and that's what I am. But I'm lighter brown than oh, you yeah, are. But yeah, not oh, all right. We don't tell the truth in. We don't tell the truth in history. We, can you name five black males that you learned about when you were in school that did fabulous things for this country. Okay, so let me, let me, that's, that's gonna take me to, and that's what I wanted, that's, that was part of my question. I feel like this, All right, on, then can you, can you name, no, no, hold on, hold on now, hold on. Can you name, let quickly, me walk you, can you name 10 white No, no, let me walk you through, let me just walk you through, give me a minute to walk you through. <laughs> I felt, and I'm gonna just, give me a second, I'm gonna answer that question. Number one is I feel like this year, we have learned more as a as a as a race about quote unquote black history with what happened to George Floyd, people getting up on stuff like Juneteenth, people going and researching uh, 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 people have done things in 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 in, in brown history, our gas mask, certain all kinds of things that people didn't know. So I believe we learned a little bit more through this than we ever did. I will say this: I went to a place called Boys Hall. In, in, in New York City. Boys Harbor was in Harlem. Our teachers in Boys Harbor, they took, they, we got regular quote unquote American history in, in our Catholic school, but in Boys Harbor, they taught us about Kwanzaa. They taught us about well, all the, all the, um, or all the people that have done things in history, or, or you know George Washington Carver, all that. We learned all that stuff. We learned about Kwanzaa, and we would be turning, we would turn around. Here. Why do I need this stuff? Because at the time, we didn't understand how powerful it was, and we didn't understand about ourselves because we we were so used to learning that, thinking that was what right. Then when we learned about our own self, we're like, what the hell is this? It ain't that. I was lucky enough to do that. 
I will say that I was lucky. If you ask the average dude that didn't go through that, they wouldn't be able to tell you a damn person. And if you ask any senior in high school who is going to graduate, if we have school this year, who's going to graduate next spring, ask him what he or she knows about black history, they will know less than you learned when you were in school. And they will remember practically none of it because their teacher will not, their teacher, they will have had a teacher sometime in school who stood up in front of a class of diverse students and said, when I see people, I don't see people as black or brown or red or yellow. I just see people as people. And if they are, if they aren't, if they are lucky, some white kid will stand up and say, you forgot to say white. Do you see white? And then that kid's going to get kicked out of school. It's time for kids, kids coming up to learn the truth. And those, what you learned in your Catholic school, did you also learn that Jesus had feet of bronze and kinky woolly yes. hair in your Catholic but school? No, no, I didn't learn that in Catholic school. But in Boys Harbor, <laughs> in Boys Harbor and through my parents, I learned that. So if I didn't have that that side to to offset that, I would have never learned. I would have never learned it. Now we we we're taught we're taught American history, right? Now they want some schools want to want to use the sixteen nineteen project curriculum, which states that the country was built on the back on the backs of the enslaved and on the premise that all men are created equal, which is basically a sham. Because if you did that, saying all men are equal and you have slaves, then that's absolute bullshit. Now, from what I read, and I'm going to dig deeper, Donald Trump wants to defund the schools that are going to teach that curriculum, basically saying. Right. He, you know, he doesn't want he doesn't want that to be taught as American history. If it is, mm -hmm. if it is taught and we learn the truth about our history, do you believe that this country will be what would excuse me, what would the difference be in one generation or two generations if everybody is taught the truth about the country? What do you think it would be? We could do away with racism in two generations. What, for instance, what is America? In the United States, we think that America is the 48 contiguous states, Alaska, Hawaii, and the islands off the southeastern coast of the United States. America, whether or not you want to admit it, is everything from the northernmost point of Canada to the southernmost point of South America. Mm -hmm. These are all the Americans. Mm -hmm. And this is the map that we use to prove mm -hmm. that. Look at this map. This is Greenland. See the size of Greenland on this map? This is the Mercator map that is used in schools throughout the United States, except the Boston Public Schools, where they now have, are using a different map. But according to this map, Greenland is bigger than South America and is bigger than Africa. This map was written, was made by a man named Mercator because the Pope wanted a map that showed the spread of Christianity. So he just tilted the globe to make all the countries that were more likely to be Christian bigger and those that weren't smaller. On this map, the equator is two-thirds of the way down the map. This is the map that they use throughout the schools in the United States. And this map is the reason that Donald Trump wanted to buy Greenland. He thought it was this big. Then, if you want to see the truth, you have to see the Peters projection map. This is the Peters projection map. See the size, Put it see the size of Greenland on this map? and the size of South America, mm -hmm. and the size of Africa. This is a map that is true to all the people, is fair to all the peoples of the world. At the bottom of the Mercator map, on most of the Mercator maps, if you look at the legend at the bottom of the map, it says on the legend, 
South America is actually nine times larger than Greenland. But it doesn't show it on okay. the map. So, and this is the map that kids see. So, so we're teaching racism on a daily basis in the schools in this country. Okay. My question is, <clears throat> how do we fix the lie? Because it's going to take extremely brave people to do this. How do we fix the lie without, with, how do we fix, with all the, with, how do we fix the lie? Do what T.J. Harris and T.I. And, and Harris, I'm sorry, T.I. Harris and what's the, the guy? Killer Mike. Killer Mike. Do what T.I. Harris and Killer Mike say to do. Stop trading with racist establishments. Mm -hmm. Stop going along to get along. Stand up and say, no, by God, you're lying to our kids and go to school. Take this map to the school. You can get it from ODT.com, ODTmaps.com. Get that map, the big one, and take it to the school. Have it laminated first. Take it to the school and say, I want this map on the walls in my children's Hold on, hold on one second. Because hold that on, one, is the hold on one second. T.I., uh, Jane Elliott is on my live right now, and she is really shouting you out and showing you love. She is, she is telling everybody on this live to, to do exactly what you told them to do. You need to get in touch with her. I don't care if you send a, a, a voicemail, a smoke signal, or whatever. This woman is out here uh, going hard for you, sir. I, I will get back at you later on when I get off the spot. Uh, <clears throat> I, I just Dude, had to tell T.I. that you're on the team. Um, T.I. is going to come on the show, God willing, next week, so I'll discuss that with him. You have... You've, You've spoken so much. I have, I, I, I have two or three more questions that I want to ask you. Earlier this week, I had Rachel Dolezal on the show. But before I get into that, I want to say one thing. I want to say one thing, and it's important to say. You're new to Instagram, so you're not on Instagram. Whoever is over there, they put their hand in the middle of the screen. They hook the Instagram up, Instagram up to you, so you don't know much about it. In Instagram, we have something called DMs, which is direct messages. I have never, in the course of doing this show, had so many people sending DMs to each other. Read that book. Look at this. Oh, my God, she said that. Wow, she's right. This, that, and the other. Oh, I got to get that book. You, you, have, you, have, you have literally rocked these people on this Instagram. With that being said, I want to I get to one final thing before I get on out the door. Earlier this week, we had Rachel Dolezal on the show. And if I, I don't know if you know who Rachel Dolezal is, but she is the woman who uh, was from the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. And she was a white woman, quote unquote, because, because I, now I'm, I'm 100%, let's drop, let's drop the, the colors. But she is, a open, she is a white woman who, who identifies as black, right? Number one. Mm -hmm. Have you, with all this information that you're, that you're, that's in your mind and that you're spitting out, have you ever in your life identified as black? No, I've identified as speckled because that's what I am. You get to be my age and you're speckled. You know you aren't white. You know you aren't black. It, it would be stupid of me to claim to be black because I'm not. I have some, there's no doubt but why I have but some DNA from an African country mm -hmm. in my DNA. 
But no, I have not ever identified as black. I've never pretended I was black. I've never claimed to be black because quite frankly, I don't have the, I don't have the courage to do that. And the only reason I'm hired and the only reason I'm on your show and the only reason I'm hired to do this work is because I'm an old white woman. And white people will listen to me say things that they wouldn't listen to from a black person. And they can't say, yeah, yeah, I know it. I know that. I know why I'm hired. And I keep on doing it because I know they're going to pay me to say things they don't want to hear. But they can tick the box. The corporation can tick the box for, for um, diversity training for that month if they just have me come in. And they have, I have heard them say to people, now, you don't have to get upset. She's, but she's just coming in here to say these things that she needs to say. I don't need to say these things, but their, their employees need to hear them. Black employees and female employees in corporations where they ask me to come in and do the exercise say when it's over, if this corporation is willing to spend this money and take this chance by having this woman come in here, we're willing to work harder for this corporation because obviously this corporation cares about us. Now, you can't expect people of color and women to work hard for your corporation if the only people in the upper echelons are tall white males. You can't expect them to care a whole lot about your corporation if the corporation doesn't care about anybody who isn't tall and white and male. So the reason I'm hired to do this is because the head of the corporation can get these things said without having to take any responsibility for them. And they know that white people will listen to me. Okay. And they do. Okay. Another question. The day, the day that you did that, the day that you had that speech, that and we and it's gone viral since George Floyd. It's gone absolutely viral. Where you said to people, "If you wish to be treated like an African American in this country, stand up." Did you plan to do that? Was that in your mind to do, or did that just happen on the spot? No, it just happened on the spot. I had never done it before, but I did it a lot after that. No, there are things when you're when you're with. When you're with a crowd of people and you know that the problem is not stupid because you can't fix stupid, but you know that it is ignorant and you know which of the group and which of the people in that group are probably the most ignorant about race. <laughs> and it's got to be the melanemic one because I know and my, my heroes are black women because they keep on keeping on no matter what we do to them. We can't put them down because they keep on keeping on. They know what they have to do. Melanemic women, on the other hand, can be can be taught something because we have so much to learn. And when I stand in front of a group like that, and it's mostly white, and I think you think you don't have to listen to this. You think I'm I, what I am saying is unimportant. Let me show you how important this is, and let's see if you've got the guts to answer this. I worked with a group of all heads of de department heads and administrators in a, a university in northeastern the United States several years ago. And in that group, oh, my God, there was a the first thing that people said when they introduced me, a, a white woman, probably 40 years old, said, why do we have to talk about differences? Why can't we talk about similarities? Similarities are more important than differences. Why don't we talk about that? And I said, I'll show you why we talk about that. So I asked a tall white male in the group to come up and stand beside me. I didn't know who he was. I only know, knew that he was tall and everybody was looking up at him like, oh, you brilliant man. I said, will you come up here and stand on my left? Sure. He comes up and he's so proud of himself. And there was a taller black woman over on the other side. He said, will you come up here, please? So she came up here. And I thought, now I'm going to see if these people can pass the test. And I said to over 200 
employees who were heads of department heads and administrators. Now, do you folks see any differences here? Height. And what do you suppose the first difference they saw was? Oh. Height. Oh, okay. And I thought, you bastard, you just passed, you just flunked the test. That is not the first difference they saw. That is absolutely not the first difference they saw. You know what the first difference was. That woman was the darkest brown woman I have ever seen. I said, okay, we'll deal with height. So I asked this tall man, is your height important to you? No, I have to know. I said, did you earn it? No. Does it give you power? Yes. So I said to this black woman, this tall, beautiful black woman, is your height, does your height give you power? She said, no, but there are some other issues to deal with. I said, we're going to get to it. So I said, do you see any other differences? So they said gender. And so then they said color, and we went through both of those. And every time I asked the woman, the man had color, had power in those, the woman had none, but there's some other differences. I finally said, do you folks see any other differences here? And finally, after the fourth thing was color, I said, are you talking about skin color or hair color? She said, skin color. So I said to this tall, white, arrogant, powerful male, is your skin color important to you? And he said, I never have to think about it. And I thought, damn you. You're going to regret that, you SOB. I said, did you earn it? No. Does it give you power? Yeah. Are you afraid of anything? I'm not afraid of anything. I thought you will be by the time I'm done with you, you idiot. And I turned to this black woman and I said, does your skin color give you power? And she waited a long time. And she finally said, I'm going to say something now that I've never said out loud before. I said, and that would be, she said, I have two children. Both of them are girls. She said, I'm ashamed to say this, but every time I was, both times when I was pregnant, I prayed not to have a son. I said, and that's because, she said, because I didn't want to think about what he would have to go through and about what I would have to go through when I lost him. And she didn't say if I lost him. She said when I lost him. And there was one slow tear making its way down the side of that woman's beautiful black face. And I thought, for the love of God, so I stepped to the front of the stage and I said, let me tell you people something. Those of you who don't understand Colin Ka Kaepernick refusing to stand for the Star Spangled Banner need to remember that the last line is, oh, say does that Star Spangled Banner yet wave or the land of the free? And I pointed at that white man <clears throat> and me and the home of the brave. I said, that's what it's talking about. And that black woman just taught you more in two sentences than I could teach you for in the next 10 years. Because she knows. There wasn't a dry eye in that house. All you could hear was this man beside me going, <clears throat> and I thought, cry, you miserable SOB. Do you know what you did when you said, I never have to think of it? I never have to think about the color of my skin. What kind of freedom are we talking about here? And what kind of slavery are we still instituting in the United States of America? And if you think the prison industrial system is anything but reinstitution of institution of slavery, you are wrong. And Bill Clinton should pay dearly for three strikes and you're out. Mm -hmm. Because there are thousands of young men who are still in prison for that third strike. Mm -hmm. And they can't get out. But we will release three white males who pled guilty to lying to Congress mm -hmm. and let them out because we didn't want them to be exposed to COVID-19. Yep. But there are a whole bunch of black males in prison who are being exposed 100%, to COVID-19. They, they, they got they exposed to COVID-19. They got bronchitis. Listen, um, I have, you know, when I don't have something to say, you know you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't.
Have you met Colin Kaepernick? No, I have. I'm going to try to make that. I, listen, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna make that connection for you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make that connection for you if you want it. Because I think I have. I, yes. I met Colin Kaepernick because Colin Kaepernick's girlfriend works for a radio station that I used to work for, for Hot 97. And when I spoke to him on two occasions for about two hours each time, and I thought it was just him negotiating or doing whatever he wants to do to get a better contract. And in talking to him, I understood how he felt and, and, and the amount of passion. And he told me, he said, I don't care about ever playing football again. This is about the children. And he hit me in my soul. And I just, you know, you said you never met Colin Kaepernick. So if if I can, I'm going to make that connection this evening. I'm gonna I'm gonna get in touch with Nessa. And I'm gonna make that connection this evening because I definitely think you need to talk. Final, final question. She's on my face. If you could sit in a room, now now we're talking about changing people's ideas and minds and, and, and hearts. If you could sit in a room for 30 minutes with Donald Trump, no phones, no distractions, what would you make him, what would you say to him to make him understand? the damage that he's doing in terms of devices. I wouldn't waste my time. <laughs> I wouldn't waste my time. If you have no, that opportunity, no, you have to no. do it to try to change. Why in the world? No, no, I wouldn't waste my time because he cannot learn. The man probably is more Neanderthal than most of us. Neanderthals were bulky, inclined to abdominal fat, had trouble learning, and had orange hair. I think the man is a lot of Neanderthal. He's not, I don't think he's as much homo sapien as the rest of us are. I think he isn't just a case of uh, arrested development. I think he has gone as far as he can, and it's not his fault. I think we're dealing with someone who isn't like the rest of us because he doesn't, he has no compassion. He has no caring for others. He can only think of how much, how it's going to affect him, and he doesn't really know what's good for him. He doesn't really know what's good for Donald, Donald Trump. I call him Dinosaurus T-Rump because he has a, he's like a dinosaur, like T-Rex. He has a face like a rump, and we won't go any farther with that analogy. But you need to realize that there are people you do not waste your time with. I would not waste my time on Donald Trump. If I could sit in a room with Colin Kaepernick, both of us might learn something. But if I sat in a room with Donald Trump, neither of us would learn anything. Because all I would see is exactly what I expect and exactly what I have seen. And I think he has shown us as much as he can. I'm, I'm, so why waste my time? I'm, I'm, I think that I'm, you couldn't pay me. You could not pay me enough to sit in a room with Donald Trump and try to educate him. Just, I wouldn't educate a rock either. The rock can't listen. I'm going to. Well, neither because Donald no, no, Because if he could, he would have. A rock can't listen. A rock can't listen. I'm gonna. I tell you, but a rock can't hurt you either. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, a rock can't. Hurt no, you. a rock, a rock, a rock definitely can't hurt you. But that, my mind is all over the place. Listen, it's rare when somebody gets me where I can't talk. Is there anything that you'd like to say before you walk on out the door and drop the mic? Nobody is born a bigot. There is no gene for racism. That is a learned response. 
Blacks cannot be racist until they get the power to institutionalize their dislike of white people. So get over it. Stop worrying about blacks wanting to get even. I don't think people of darker colors want to get even. I think they want to get equitable treatment under the law. I think they want to get what they're promised. I think we need to realize that we are not equal in the eyes of everybody. We're equal in the eyes of God. But I don't work with God all day, every day. I work with fallible human beings. And I know they aren't going to treat me equally. And another thing, I don't believe in the golden rule. The golden rule says, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. I know that you, as a young, strong black man, do not want to be treated the way I, an old white woman, want to be treated. I don't have the right to treat you the way I want to be treated. In Chinese philosophy, that rule said, do unto others as others would have you do unto them. Treat others the way they want to be treated, not the way you want to be treated. Because I know that people, everybody doesn't want to be treated the way I want to be treated. In order for me to find out how other people want to be treated, I have to self-educate. I have to learn about those who are different from myself, and I have to figure out what it is they want besides other than what I want. I know that we all don't want to be treated the same way, and I'm sick of hearing it because we don't all treat everyone the way we want to be treated. If people, if white people treated people of color the way white people want to be treated, we wouldn't have racism in this country. I believe in the platinum rule. Do unto others as others would have you do unto them. But first, find out how they want to be treated, and don't walk up to the nearest black person and say, how do you black people want to be treated? No. Get a book, self-educate, read everything that I gave you, and go to my website and download the Read every book on, on the bibliography. What is that website? Hold on, I'm going to turn this on. What is that website? Jane and Jane, Jane at JaneElliott.com. Oh, no, your website is www.JaneElliott.com. Two L's, two T's, yes. Two L's and two T's in the spot. I, I know that. That's like Misty. I know that. All right. On I sent you all this material on your messages okay. while you were t speaking. Okay, but listen, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to have to, I, I, I'll get in touch with you after this, and I'll get all of this information because it's important to have. Don't worry about it. And, and listen, as soon as I get off Instagram, I'll be, I'll be calling you, and I'm going to make that connection between you and Colin Kaepernick. We're going to make that happen, okay? Let's, listen to me. Don't do that to Colin Kaepernick. He doesn't have to learn from an old white woman. Don't no, 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 no. He's going he's to want to talk to you. He's not learning. I know he's going to want to talk to you. Because I think I just people of the light of, of the same like mind like to talk to each other. And I'm sure that you, the two of you having a talk, and I, and I can tell you from talking to you, from talking to you, he would love to talk to you and just hear from you. I, I can tell you that. And I'm going to make that connection, yeah. and, and we'll work that out I, I, in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Inshallah. Well, I, I would be delighted to talk to him, but not, I don't want him to think that I'm talking to him to do him a favor because that's not what no, this no, is. No, no, no. What I know, what, what I know, I've learned from people like Colin Kaepernick and you and, and Killer Mike and T.I. Harris. That's where I've learned these things. I've learned from listening and I'd be perfectly lovely, delighted to listen to Colin Kaepernick. No problem. I'm going to make that happen. I want to thank you for coming through. I don't know who is that. Who is that in the background that was laughing? Can you just? Sit? This is my daughter. This is my daughter. Can Sarah, Sarah? Can you come on? This is my daughter. Sarah. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm you good. And I would love to. Con I would love to contact 
with you on Facebook. I sent you all this information, all the lists of the of the books that she mm -hmm. mentioned. It's on the little tab in the Instagram uh, to your uh, to your poster. Whoever is in charge okay. of that, I don't. No, no. Listen, listen. Here's what I want you to do. Go in there now, right? And go because I don't. I'm not heavy on Facebook. I'm heavy on on Instagram. Just send me a direct message. Matter of fact, you know something, when it's over, I'll call back. Don't worry about it. I'll call back. I got you. Cool. All right? All right. All right. I'll talk cool. to you guys later. God bless. Make Noise with Fat Man Scoop is produced by myself alongside Raj Kachetcha and the team at creativecontentagency.com. Please support this podcast by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I love that. And by following this podcast on Spotify and sharing links to episodes you enjoy with your friends. Do it. You can also email the show via podcast at fatmanscoop.com. I answer that. Or you can DM me at Fat Man Scoop. Yes, I answer DMs.